0: to be with you. Uh, warm welcome. If I haven't said hello to you this morning, or you're here for the first time, trust you have a an encouraging morning with us. This is a great passage, but it's also a bit of a mind bender. I don't know if you picked that up, but it's a it's a real challenge. And so I just want to uh, come before God again in prayer. Uh, there was lots of challenging things that we just heard read to us, and so I want to encourage us to really think about uh, what God wants us to hear, because it's not necessarily how we naturally think let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you uh, that we can read it each week that you reveal yourself to us and now as we consider it help us to truly be transformed by it in your son's name amen all right now i reckon life is full of living with contradictions I reckon that's just the way life is. I hate pain, but it's one of life's great paradoxes. You know that classic cliche, no pain, no gain? There's often pain before the gain. Exercise is a classic example. We're going to travel through uh, exercise in this talk, because I think it actually helps a little bit. If I was to ask you, I'd be interested to know, if I was to ask you, say, for the rest of the service, your job is to go out onto the Oval and just do laps for the rest of the service, but I guarantee you increase in aerobic fitness will be astronomical, greater than anybody else in this room, and you'll be fitter than you've ever been, who's willing to do it? Put your hand up, just to run around the Oval. Some of you, some of you. But not many of us because the pain is still too much and I've given you a guarantee and yet we know when we exercise there is benefit which I'll talk about a bit later it's the paradox issue paradoxes that idea ideas that kind of seem in conflict that kind of reversal of ideas that are backing up one another life seems to be full of them here are some that some guru or something or other talked about life just to give you an idea what i'm talking about if you're not up to date with um, paradoxes the pursuit of happiness makes you unhappy that's interesting freedom can be enslaving two ideas completely opposite words are spoken by the listener no they're not oh but are they that's deep solitude makes you more companionable social media disconnects uh, oh that's absolutely true social media disconnects us the idea the more and more we can talk to people on social media the more and more connected we feel we're seeing more and more that maybe that's not the case we know more about our friends but we spend less time with them wanting to be normal is abnormal the larger the collective the smaller the individual the only certainty is uncertainty you get the idea of paradoxes now today the goal is about dealing with paradoxes. And before we get into it, have um, James open in front of you. If you haven't got a Bible in front of you, feel free just to get up and, and grab one up the back uh, now. But open up James chapter 1, because I want, us, I want you to throw some answers at me. I want you to skim through verses 1 to 18 and throw any paradox that you can find in the passage at me. See if you can find them. I think I've got one, two, three, four, five. You see any there? Yeah. What verse was that? Right, nine. nine, Yeah. So that's the the humble. uh, I've got humble and pride, which is the same idea. That's right. When you're humble, you take pride in that. How does humility? That doesn't work. What else? Yeah. There's this whole issue of being tempted by God and what's going on there. And then there's one just about that just below that about sin, sin something, what? What's it do? It gives what? Birth to death, birth to, hang on, birth's life, death, hang on, go further back up to the top, there's something kind of dancing around three and four, sorry four and five, What are you not to lack? What shouldn't you lack? Anything. But then what's he going to say in verse 5? If you lack something, it's kind of this contradiction. Well, what's going on with all these paradoxes? And we've missed the most important one so far. The one that really is the goal for today. The one that I think on the surface seems like the insurmountable paradox. Exactly, thanks Ruth. Joy when you have trials. See that in verse 2? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's our goal, to unpack that sentence. What's it mean? Because we naturally think pain is difficult. Pain is bad, and it is bad, and it's to be avoided. But in some way here we're being told we're to consider it pure joy. It's confronting and it gets more confronting if we just unpack that sentence for a minute before we try and figure it out from the following verses. See what verse 2 says is, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials. First of all, what we're seeing is that we need to rethink Maybe how we think about life. Consider. So what our task is today, it is to consider. We've uh, kicked off last week and talked about James being practical in life. And if it's going to be practical in life, we've got to rethink how we see the world. We've got to consider it. But then he says, pure joy. Simply, all joy. He's saying, consider it all joy. That is, trials are to be seen as all joy. Not a little bit of joy, but mostly horrible, all joy. It's very confronting. James is talking to uh, scattered Christians all around the, uh, uh, the Roman Empire, the Jewish Christians have kind of been scattered, uh, as we see in verse 1, and they're obviously going through many trials, and you can probably pick up exactly the, some of the ones they're going through in the passage, uh, in, in the whole of the letter. But these trials are hard; they're painful, and they're to and the, and, and they to actually think about them very differently. And we can see that there are many trials. It's not just there's a, there's a few trials that I want you to know you've got to deal with as joy, and the others, don't worry about it. Many and varied. Let's even get more specific. Whenever you face trials, whenever you face trials, you're supposed to all joy, unadulterated joy. Now, if you hear me for a second saying you need, to in some way, like pain, you're totally missing the point, right? Let's just let's just get that out in the open. We're not talking about the pain in itself and grief and sorrow and the heartache that that brings. That still is real. And how we deal with life and how we face it and we need to deal with grief mourn struggle all of those things as well but at the same time there is this pure joy whatever you write down on a bit of paper now if i was asked you to do that your trial is that you're facing whatever pain whatever confusion whatever fear whatever heartache whatever loss whatever it is for you right now, if you were to write it down, the task for you today is to see God's Word is wanting you to see it as joy. It's because it provides something good, not because it's joyful itself and that's really important. So that's what we're going to try and unpack today. It's a big task because it's really confronting. I try to confront you there with the enormity of what we're being challenged to do and how different it is to what the world says and how we're naturally just inclined to think about pain. And so our task is, um, if you've got an outline, sorry we um, uh, ran out of outlines today, which is our bad, but we'll make next week's the new month, so we'll all have them next week uh, anyway. But if you have an outline there, I have uh, rejigged it a little bit. So the trials and wisdom headings is really understanding trials as joy. That's what we're trying to do today. And then I've deleted the joy and trials um, heading after that and there's another one that I'll bring up in a moment. But as we go on and we try and understand trials as joy, the first thing we need to see is the importance of perseverance, which Jack-Jack helped us with a little bit earlier. You see, the importance of of perseverance is because it makes us mature. And I hope you hear that um, little phrase. Importance of perseverance is because it makes us mature. Have a look at verse 3. After he's said the statement of joy and trials, it's because. Because, this is the reason. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, he's trying to show all of the scattered uh, Christians, all the Jewish Christians around, that you're to consider the heartache that you're going through, that I've heard about, the, the, the difficulties, the trials that you're facing, they are going to produce something for you. They are going to help you persevere, to keep going. And perseverance isn't just for a moment, as Jack-Jack finishes the races, it's to finish the work. And the work we see is so that, mature and complete. See, the way to real maturity is to see Hard, hard trials. The darkest of moments is where your faith can be refined as you persevere in God. That makes no sense to the world but all the sense in the world to those who love Jesus. It's not superficial, it's not some kind of fairyland kind of just push it down in the little place and not think about it and then I can just have joy, that would be disastrous to do, to squash it. It's something that's really important that you need to know. See verse uh, 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's something that you should realise, it's based on knowledge and there is an essence here where we can start, to, oh, there is something that does make sense. And that's kind of, you test something and it produces something. So when, when I exercise, I know I'm in a better place. I've just started trying to exercise again, 30 minutes a day. It's a hard, hard slog. Before we started um, Trinity Grove, I was doing it every day, well, five days out of seven. And I was the fittest and healthiest I'd ever been. In December last year absolutely no doubt fittest and healthiest I'd ever been because for about four months I did 30 minutes of exercise I know that the exercise, exercise made me healthier I could run faster five kilometers that I ever had I had strength in places that I'm, I'm actually really quite weak and I actually could do things that I couldn't when I started This is embarrassing, but I'm going to confess to you, I could only do one push-up. Thanks. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That is true. Laugh all your way. My brothers think it's hilarious. I have two personal training brothers, so you could could imagine the mocking I got. (laughs) When I was in Sydney and one of them tried to help me exercise, his his, uh, way of trying to help me exercise was, you're not stopping until you vomit, because I needed to get going. You see, exercise, you test it, you get a result. That's clear. That's what we're seeing here. The testing of your faith produces persever- perseverance. Enduring faith that has been tested. Testing is important. How many of us have got some kind of medication, had medication this week? Panadol to something super, you know, important. Lots of us. Lots of us have put something in our mouth. All of those medications, we hope, have been properly tested, right? And if they've been given to us by a chemist, they're supposed to go through a whole procedure and they have been tested to show that they work. We've even done tests to show that the whole idea of placebo does have some effects. Testing is useful because then we see there is a result. We have joy in knowing that it produces perseverance. But how? How do we really grab hold of this new way of thinking? And that's the the, uh, second point that's not in your outline that I want you to shove in there if you've got one, is that we need single-minded wisdom. Single-minded wisdom. That is, only by God's wisdom... Can you agree with what we're talking about today and what I'm suggesting to you? Have a look at verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Only think this way, you can only think this way if God's wisdom is fostering dependence upon Him. The whole idea that is a paradox to us only makes sense if we have a single focus on God. And that becomes clear because I think what we're seeing in these passages here, the problem of the double minded person. Verse 8, such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. See, the person who's doubting, it's not a a question of the Christian who follows God and is wrestling with doubt that the Bible talks about in other ways. What we're seeing with doubt here, it's the doubt of someone who wants God's way, kind of, and also the world's way or their own thinking or some other kind of way of going about it. And so running in parallel with two ideas, kind of wanting God's way, but not really because you've got other ways. It's double-minded. And so what happens? We've got that beautiful example of the sea kind of pointing out to the chaos that it brings. This person is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You're going back and forth. You you have no solid grounding. You can't understand that this totally different way is God's way because you're totally letting yourself be thrown with the whims of ideas and philosophies and your own desires and everything and you're being stuck. It's not lean on ourselves there's a great uh, proverb in chapter three of proverbs chapter three verse five it's, it's been a memory verse throughout the generations let me read to you uh, proverbs chapter three verse five trust in the law with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Trust in the Lord. That is, God's wisdom is to just depend upon His way. And so, here's the double mindedness and lean not on your own understanding. It's, you don't lean on the way you think sh- things sh- should be, you go to God and you see what He thinks and you single-mindedly focus on Him. The moment you lean on yourself is the moment you get into trouble. I love this passage, one, because it's just such great uh, help The Scripture, but it's actually the passage that we um, had at our wedding that we got um, uh, our, our uh, preacher to speak on, and I reckon if I actually uh, took it to heart, if Jen actually took it to heart more as well, and we lean less on our own understanding more and more, that would even make our marriage better. We need to go back and remember that that's what you do you lean not on your own ways and you trust in god's and so it goes on to say in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight do not be wise in your own eyes why do you think you're awesome because you figured out something because you know a way to live because you're so good at your job because you're so good at sport whatever it is you think you're great you lean on your own ways and you let that infiltrate other things god's wisdom means you cannot have a bet each way you trust god's way and not want to be enticed to sin and that's what i think is going on at the end of this um Uh, section, in in verses uh, 13 to 18, we'll get to the rich and the the poor in 9-11 in a moment, but I think we see in verses 13 to 18 is dealing with temptation, is that we don't blame God. We trust in His wisdom, we don't blame Him. Look at verses 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death what we're seeing here is the needing to acknowledge that our sin doesn't come from god trying dangling it in front of us going go on sin like he's trying to trick us our sin comes from our own evil desires, dragged away and enticed by them. God is not in the business of trying to trick you into sin. Temptation, where we want to jump into it, is our own sinful desires. Following the ways of the world, wanting to do Satan's bidding. The double-minded person... We'll say i want to trust god's way but i also kind of like a bit of that as well because that might be good as well won't it god puts us in trial in situations that are trials as we've seen to produce good in us but we can take them and let the temptation be enticed by sin and we can go well when i've been embarrassed. In the workplace, I'll lie to get, get out of it because I feel so horrible. Or when my relationship is so difficult, maybe it's okay to kind of move into some kind of immorality. When I'm feeling really, really lonely, that's when I can lash out at other people because that I don't seem to be lonely and I am. Or when I'm in absolute grief, that's when I can just randomly and horribly angry at everyone and everything. God does not want you to do that. He wants you to persevere. It's a pretty challenging passage today, isn't it? Why? Why persevere? I want you to realize it's because it's worth it. Because it's worth persevering look at verse 12 blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the lord has promised to those who love him you see what we have here is that the joy of the future brings you into joy now it doesn't take away your pain or grief but it gives you a joy because you know where you're heading. See this crown lasts. This crown endures. This crown is promised by a promise keeper who keepers keepers keeps his promises every time. All this joy of the future is where all our joy and happiness come together and where pain and anguish, trials, dissipate. The crown of life. This crown means our lifelong difficulties don't define us. They so often do, don't they? We let our heartaches, we let what's going on, we let our own personalities, we let all sorts of things define us instead of the crown of life that we are going to receive. That crown of life brings us into joy now when you're in the depths. That's where this passage is taking us. I don't know where we're all at here today. If you're not a Christian, what you're seeing is the Christian perspective is God's way instead of blaming God. But it's God's way because it's worth it. We don't have to blame God. If you have your eyes open, you will see time and time again, in in people, in their conversations, in news reports, in TV shows, in all sorts of different media, in social media, the response is to blame other people and God. Do you blame God? Are you indifferent to Him? Well, maybe maybe today you can consider that the crown of life He wants to give to you it's not a crown of life that you cannot have it's a crown of life that is given to those who love jesus so look at the last verse there verse 18 he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created He's given us a new life, and as described as a crown of life, through the word of truth. Jesus himself, that the scriptures are all focused on, is the one who gives us life. You can ignore him and blame God, or you can see that God wants you to see that truth is all found in him, and that in his death, everything is fixed up, all your trials will be dealt with. That eternity is there. The crown of life is offered. I want to encourage you today, if you are someone who struggles with blaming God, struggles with ignoring Him, consider, is the crown of life worth reassessing? Is it worth reassessing assessing whether you can trust in God because Jesus has died on the cross, that He has conquered death? This crown of life lasts because Jesus rose from the dead and brings us into all eternity. But I want us to finish, we'll we'll spend some significant time thinking about how we live this out. And I want to go back to that most important of words, consider. How much time do you consider what you need to do in your life? Because what I think we're seeing here is that we need a kind of wheel alignment. It's not often I use car analogies because I know nothing about cars but I know when you get a wheel alignment, it turns your car from kind of going skew-whiff on the road to getting back straight, you need a wheel alignment. I hope that's right anyway, that's what I think they do. I think that's what we kind of need. As followers of Jesus, who wrestle with and struggle with and go into the depths with things that happen around us, that in our internal struggles, the trials of life, or even when we look at the world and the mess and the injustice of the world, that does our head in to pain that's in our family. All sorts of things we struggle here and we need to consider. That is, we need to rethink. We need a wheel alignment. We need to see that that natural default position of thinking that there's no joy here, and that possibly even like blame God, is wrong. You see, to consider is to rethink. This is actually kind of a head exercise today. See, to consider is to count it. To genuinely say, yes, this is joy. It's a really important word for us to think about. It's a shifting of our mindset to see God's kindness... In heartache, because it moves us to persevere. I've already asked you earlier what you might be struggling with. I want to ask you again now, after we've gone through th- this passage. You can see that it needs a lot more reflection than just one sermon, isn't it? Consider whatever struggle pops into your mind right now. Pick one right now. Apply single-minded wisdom to that. Let God's perseverance shape that. Let God's wisdom shape that so you persevere, rather. Don't let yourself be caught up in it over and over and over again so that you end up in a spiral of blaming God or falling into sin. Consider the pure joy. You can say, this is joyful with tears rolling down your eyes. That doesn't seem right. But the great thing about God and his paradoxes is when we have God's wisdom, we see that it is. Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You see, the um, the people James are talking to. One of the issues that they had was, well, they struggled with um, the rich and the poor. It's going to come up throughout the letter, and when we um, look at the second part, we'll even see it more uh, next year. There's this challenge to being rich. And I just want to go back to verses 9 to 11 because it's kind of a helpful example for us, the challenge to being rich. See, in verse 9, we read, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises and scor- with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they even while they go about their business. He's trying to help them see, you're struggling with the fact that you're in poverty and you're being oppressed by rich people and this this is infiltrating the church, which becomes out clearer later, and there's all these issues of favouritism and one of the greatest challenges he's saying to them is consider your poverty, consider your low position actually the best position. It's the best position to be in because you can persevere in it. Because the rich, they focus on their richness and all that they have and what happens to that? Fades away. And sometimes it fades away, not just at the point of death, which it has to, it fades away while you go about your business. That moment of bankruptcy, that moment of losing your job, that moment where someone steals from you, where your house has been, whatever it is, it could all be taken away. Just like we talk about the wildflower in that illustration. See, it's the rich and their values disappearing versus trials and that disappearing for the crown of life. This week there was this a moment where Ethan came uh, up, up, up to me in tears, Jim brought him to me, he was in tears. He's an emotional boy, if you haven't noticed. And Ethan, uh, he was crying because he didn't know what to choose between Jesus and sin. And I was trying to, he was, he was very upset about it. He was really distressed. And when we were talking about it, I, I don't want, I, 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 and he was wrestling with the idea, but I like doing that, but Jesus is good. So that was good that he had that. And then as we're talking about it, and he's figuring it out, he says, what happens to all of my stuff when I go to heaven? So you don't need it. Kind of blew his head out of the water. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't need my Lego. Like it's just <laughs> it blew his head out of the water. It was great to have that interaction with you. It, it was really good. But it was a simple, simple, in you know, the mind's eye of a kid, capturing how it all goes away. And the simple decision is between <laughs> Jesus, the crown of life, our stuff and when it's put that simply it makes a lot more sense doesn't it so we consider it pure joy and we shift our mindset whether it's the rich and the poor issue or whatever context it is i want us to finish by thinking about it living out james by three viewpoints first of all I want us to think about it by the kind of middle stage of life. It's kind of me, if you like, right? Let's, let's go back to my exercise illustration. Um, you're somewhere in the middle of life, whether it's your age or you're kind of in the middle of your Christian journey, um, but when you exercise, well this is my experience, I know it's not this for all of you, some of you like the first second is disaster, but when you exercise and you do it for 30 minutes, when you start off, you can at least go for the first 30 seconds a minute. The start I want to exercise i've finally got here so i'm gonna do it and you get going and it's okay and off you go but then you get to the end and i've got to the end now i'm going to finish and so i'm not bad in that last 30 seconds minute i can pound that one out no matter the pain that i've gone through i can get to the end because i know it's just about to finish and i don't want to waste my time so i get it done but then there's the 20 minutes in the middle it's, a, it's an absolute killer when you you know you can see when see, I've still got 20 minutes to go I know all this exercise I'm going to be exhausted I don't feel like finishing and you just kind of, sometimes you kind of give up and the first time I did it in this time trying to exercise and you know what happened? I kind of cheated, I just kind of went through the motions and I dialed it in the first 20 minutes and then at the end I went crazy, at the end, oh good, yeah I did it, whereas I really dialed it in for most of that time. I think we can kind of see our life from that viewpoint, in middle age. When our health, which was kind of okay, and sickness starts to creep in and the body starts to fail. When our plans that we had as a teenager at school, with the job that we wanted that we never got, and then the hopes of all the plans we had as a young adult, don't exactly work out the way that we desired. Our thinking of where we're going to live and where we're going to move to just has not worked. The kids, we love them dearly, but gee, they make you tired. You can't think clearly, or all other family tensions. That middle part of life, the it muddy, is still a burden. It just—it's when you start to think the end seems so far off, the crown of life. It's so far off and the newness of being a Christian is worn off. I'm stuck in the middle. That's when you need to consider a joy. You need to have your mind in the right place because that's when it's so hard. Consider a joy. Prepare yourself. If you're with me in that time, it's when we need to come back and go, it's so worth it where we see others it's why we come together and and gather as god's people as we encourage each other to say it's worth it keep going but also i want us to think about it as you set out as a new christian or as a teenager as a young adult trying to work out this christian life i want to tell you to prepare your mind think about it clearly make robust make your thinking and decisions robust. Deal with your trials now, but don't be under the illusions that this is as bad as it's going to get because maybe life is just getting started. Don't take the model of pushing aside and ignoring. Don't assume the Christian life is not full of trials and if they are, my Christian faith is faltering... Think right now. Think correctly now for the future. Have that drive and determination to remember, I will consider it pure joy no matter what's before me and I've got no idea what's before me. Come back to James 1. You may not remember how to think about it, but you can just plug into your brain James 1 and go back there. James 1 is too much. James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy. Anyone can remember that. Lock it in. We've talked about the middle, we've talked about setting out. What about nearing the end? I want to encourage you, if that's you, to consider how God has sustained you throughout your life many years of trials in what they are I don't know what they are the death the heartache the broken relationships the internal battles you've had the physical pain you can probably recall a whole bunch of them now you can probably recall the immense grief that won't go away but here you are the crown of life is coming And God has sustained you, is sustaining you. My encouragement to you is, don't throw it away now. Go to the end. Consider it pure joy. The crown of life is drawing near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your wisdom and we need your wisdom single-mindedly. Help us in our trials to consider it pure joy as we long for the crown of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.